When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. And despite the international break being in full swing this weekend, it is still Sunday and that means it is still time for the Football Social Daily Weekend Review Show. The international break has given us all a little breather from the action of the Premier League with World Cup qualifiers all weekend, giving us a clearer picture of who will be spending Christmas in Qatar in 2022 and who will be spending Christmas peeling Brussels sprouts. So the World Cup qualifiers are the big focus on today's podcast. That's where we get ourselves kicked off. Walk in the park in reality for Gareth Southgate and England as they cruised to a 5-0 win in Andorra to take themselves another step closer to Qatar. We're going to be taking a closer look at England and what post-Euro 2020 developments they have made. Alongside that, there's also big wins for Scotland and the Republic of Ireland. And we're also going to be previewing tonight's Euro Nations League final, Spain up against France at the San Siro. Right, that's all to come in part one of the show. And then in part two, we'll be checking ourselves back in with domestic matters. Newcastle, as you would expect, have been linked with everybody from Messi to Jesse, Jesse Lingard, that is. Uh, we'll be looking at how things are going at St. James's. And with the dust starting to settle on Tyneside, we're going to be looking at what next for Steve Bruce and the Magpies. And plus, we'll also be talking Manchester United with contract talks set for Harry Maguire and Paul Pogba. Right then, plenty to get through. My name's Fergal Brennan, and tonight we also have football journalist Rob Blanchett. Rob, how are you doing? I'm great, Fergal. How are you? Very good, very good. Enjoying the relaxing international break, I am indeed right. Uh, alongside Rob, we also have Mr. Stretford Paddock, Jay Motti. Jay, how's things? Yeah, good. Just uh, basking in the glory of international football. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, not even the slightest, slightest uh, shred of sarcasm from Jay. Right, international break, we are going to get stuck into it. Rob, England, the focus on them so far. 5-0 win away at Andorra. 
again, this one gets filed under. There's no easy way to win. If you don't win by 10, you're criticised. They got five, all really, really straightforward and another step closer to qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar next year. Four points needed from their remaining three games, so they can't qualify directly during this window, whatever happens against Hungary in midweek. Now, as we mentioned, you'd expect this to be fairly straightforward, and it was. So I want to talk more about England in the post-Euro 2020 context. The summer does feel like it has only just finished. Euro 2020 doesn't seem like that long ago, but Gareth Southgate is not standing still. He wants to make sure that England being in finals is not a flash in the pan. He wants it to be a regular occurrence. And one of the most interesting things from, from this game was the strength and depth that is available to Southgate. Only two players started last night that started in the Euro final. That was Kieran Trippier and John Stones. Nine new faces with no major drop in quality. Do England now have two full 11s? Do they have an A11 and a B11? And if so, what does that say for England's development after Euro 2020? Well, I think with the quality of opposition here in these games, I was kind of curious when the squads were announced about how England were going to play it with, you know, dropping, leaving out some players due to their age or maybe the amount of football that they've already played. That's not something I've experienced in the past. I've always found that England managers will just go for their best squad and they'll go with it like that. But I think with Southgate, he is trying to develop uh, kind of a wider pool of players. Um, the the roots are there in youth but you can see obviously there's plenty of experience in the squad and have they got two first teams out I would probably say that's still a, a bit of a jump but he certainly has options across the pitch and so playing the 4-2-3-1 that he does play he's got players who can be more creative in the middle of midfield and he's also got more regressive midfielders so he's got options and I think he's tried to play some of those cards in these matches Jay, when you look at the situation with England and you go back 10, 15, 20 years, one of the big criticisms that was always levelled at previous England managers that they had these massive star names, Premier League stars, European stars, and they couldn't fit them into a system, they couldn't get a tune out of them as an 11. Southgate has arguably dropped, not dropped, but doesn't constantly call on some of the bigger names that have gone for big transfer fees and play for massive clubs because for him the focus is on the best 11 on the pitch and that's obviously born fruit for England there's no danger of him really changing that um, Rob mentioned there you've got options for more creative midfielders and more maybe regressive or defensively minded midfielders Southgate won't be shaken on this the best team to go out for England is the best team that he thinks there and then is to do the job. Yeah, and I think every England manager I know of in my lifetime has been second-guessed and there's always been a, a media favourite that hasn't been picked, that, that should be picked. You know, when I was a kid, it was... I remember under Graham Taylor, I think it was Chris Waddle or someone or, or someone like that. And then, you know, more recently, you've had players that, that haven't haven't featured under previous managers like Sven, had these certain players that he favoured and others he didn't like. Capello was the same. A lot of people saying, you know, under Capello, I remember like Michael Carrick didn't get as many games as I would have liked to have seen, for example. And you look at it now, it's no different. The, the only difference is Gareth Southgate has had success. He's got to a World Cup semi-final and he's got to a European Championships final. So his system and his way of working is working because the proof is in the results he's been getting and the way he's, he's, he's sort of carried himself as England manager. And I think that whilst you can always question the manager and second-guess him or have players that you, you think should be in, you can't second-guess his results. And, you know, yes, he, he could have gone a little bit further in the World Cup or he could have gone one result better and you know in the Euros, but it's fine margins and he's done very well. So he's always going to get second-guessed. He's, he's probably got too many players to, to not get second-guessed because... 
there's so many good young players and good talented, especially attacking-wise, players out there for England. You know, you're talking about the Andorra game where you've rested the likes, or you know, the likes of sort of Harry Kane and, and, and a few others haven't started. Yeah, Mason Mount didn't start, but you've still got a very strong team. You know, you've got Sancho, you've got Saka, you've got Abraham, and then you've got Grealish thing coming on as well. So it doesn't matter who you who you pick. You're still gonna have people saying, "Oh well, that player should be in the team, or that that player should be featuring more." But Gareth Southgate has done two things. One, he's got the results to sort of give him that little bit of confidence and that little bit of leeway and secondly he seems to have a great spirit in that team everyone seems to get along there seems to be this positivity with England I've not seen for years so it doesn't seem like anyone's spitting the dummy out if they're not getting picked he seems to have everyone sort of pulling together and I think he deserves credit for that I've not been Gareth Southgate's biggest fan and I've been one of those who second-guessed him but he does seem to be getting a tune out of this England team and you can't really criticise him too much in terms of the results he gets and Rob, looking at the goal scorers from last night, that demonstrates not only this idea of strength and depth within the squad, but also goals and performances being spread right the way across the board. Five separate goal scorers, Ben Chilwell, Bukayo Saka, Tammy Abraham, James Ward-Prowse, and Jack Grealish is, is the last one on that list. And it was a big night for Grealish. He's actually his first goal for England, which based on some of the surrounding stories based around him this summer, £100 million move to Manchester City, this cult status that he had during Euro 2020, despite not necessarily guaranteeing himself a starting place for uh, for Southgate. All of these factors do play into this idea that Gareth will pick the team that is right for the situation. Jack Grealish has been bought for £100 million this summer, Premier League record transfer, huge amounts of attention on him. But when we talk of Gareth Southgate's first 11 for England there's probably nine ten names that are absolutely nailed on and a lot of them are not as high profile or as showbiz as Jack Grealish Jack Grealish is still not one of them despite all of the fanfare around him why is it that he's not nailed on to be a starter for England is that something to do with his performances or Southgate's methodology I think it's more because Southgate is a manager of function rather than flair so You've seen at Manchester City, obviously, a transfer £100 million from Villa to uh, to the champions. The Guardiola has basically played Grealish in virtually every match. You know, he's played on the left-hand side, he's played his favourite position, maybe not given the kind of returns that City would like at this stage, but they're bedding him in, they're giving him the minutes. I think with England, uh, up until, you know, even six months ago, a year ago, he was very much on the periphery. He was a, a player at a mid-table to maybe relegation candidate football club. So for him to kind of make that jump into England starting eleven seemed uh, a big ask at that point. But there's no doubt in Jack Grealish's quality... I think also when you look at how Southgate picks his teams he's got so many options and when you're winning and you're moving those options around no one can say anything to you so I think that's where where England are at the moment and if you think that they played Jadon Sancho who is a 70 to 80 million pound footballer who's done incredibly well over the last two or three years when you're starting him on the left rather than Jack Grealish I don't think there'll be too much furore from the press. And looking at this 11J, building towards the World Cup, as I say, four points from the final three games will be enough to, to get England to Qatar. We're already in tournament squad picking mode and decisions mode for uh, for what Gareth Southgate is going to have to do. And he doesn't seem to be very flexible in terms of the core of his team. I think the kind of back seven is pretty much picked. Jordan Pickford, Kyle Walker, John Stones, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. they the flexibility is probably going to come from that front four, albeit Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling are probably nailed on. Looking at this game and the games that are going to come, between now and next 
winter when the World Cup is in Qatar, who is the most likely to break through or to potentially say to Southgate, I don't want to be the first player off the bench anymore. I want to be a starter. You've got Grealish, you've got Foden, you've got Sancho, you've got so many options. Who is the front runner to say, now I want to be the breakthrough player of 2022? I don't know if you can call him a breakthrough player, but Marcus Rashford, for example, didn't play a lot in the Euros. And he was a player that Gareth Southgate, you know, used sort of in... in sporadically shall we say didn't really play in the World Cup but then he started, started coming into his own and then it, you feel you almost feel that if everyone's fit he wouldn't be getting a, uh, a start now he's obviously had an operation he's coming back he's you know reports indicate that he could be back from Manchester United as early as the Leicester game I think he's going to be a player who's looking at going I need to be playing in the World Cup and I don't need to be playing you know 15 10 minute cameos at the end of games I need to be starting now a lot of that depend on what sort of season he has with Manchester United but he's out of the list of players that are sort of not guaranteed a start or probably not quite there yet. I think he's should be at the top of the list because of what he's done for his club, uh, his country in the past, what he's done for Manchester United, and I think this is a big opportunity this season for him to play a big part in United season and get himself into the uh, the England setup as a starter as well. I think I know this is going to sound proper, you know, Manchester United heavy, but Jaden Sancho is another one. Rob just mentioned that he's had a fantastic two years uh, over in Germany. Big money move to Manchester United. He'll be another one looking at it going again, played, I think, was it one game against Ukraine in the uh, Euros? And then only came on for mm. 15 seconds, whatever it was, for the penalties. So he's another one who'll be looking at going, this This could be my chance as well. And, you know, without being sort of overly obvious, we've all spoken about Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish wasn't starting. He wasn't um, guaranteed a place in England at starting 11. He's got his big money move. He's playing in the Champions League. The opportunity is there for him. It's just up to him to take it. We know he's got the talent as well. So those are the three players. Sorry, I've not made that very easy by sort of <laughs> speaking about three players. But <laughs> I think those three players in Sancho, um, Grealish and Rashford are all on a similar level, I feel, in, in one way or another, as a feeling that they should be the next ones to sort of break into that first eleven. And certainly with Rashford and Sancho, it's going to be interesting because they may end up even fighting each other for a place in the United team. And looking at from maybe from the other side of this, Rob, in terms of players that could potentially drop out of that starting eleven, that main eleven for Southgate, he has been loyal to players over the years when they've had issues maybe at club level. He's carried on picking them, and Raheem Sterling jumps back to mind again now because there is talk this season that he could potentially move on in January. There's links for a loan move to to Barcelona if he's not getting his game time at City. And since the start of the campaign, he's not been first choice. Grealish has come in, Aguero has gone, so Pep Guardiola's looked to reshuffle and change things around. You expect Southgate to remain loyal, quote, to Sterling for a certain time. He's been fantastic for England under Southgate. But if there is an issue at club level and he's not playing and you fast forward 12 months, could his place potentially come under threat when you've got, as Jay said, Sancho, Grealish, Foden, etc., who are banging on the door to start for England? My, my thoughts on that is no. And the reason why I think that is that we would have seen this, I think, going into the Euros where Sterling really not played that well for Manchester City over a period of time. And there were options. You know, we talked just there about Sancho and Grealish. Uh, I think the... Southgate, a little bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United, likes to pick players that he trusts. And I think Sterling falls under that remit there. Uh, I do think that going ahead, you know, the the cycle of, of the squad will be based obviously around this World Cup that's coming up. And then after that, we might then see maybe Kane and Sterling with their places at risk if they're not performing at club level. Uh, you know, just mentioned their players coming through. I think 
Foden and, and a player we haven't mentioned there, Mason Greenwood, are two players of their generation who could quite possibly go to the next level in terms of the world level. Uh, I think they've got a much higher ceiling than, say, the likes of Jack Grealish, no matter his £100 million price tag. Uh, so I think we won't see much of the, the boat being rocked by Southgate in the next 12 months. But uh, he, you see with Southgate, he develops his squad at a good pace. He's a very conservative manager. I don't think there'll be any real big shocks coming up now over the next year. Yeah, indeed. Right, and moving on, obviously, it was fairly straightforward for England in Andorra, Jay, but a bit more excitement in Glasgow for Scotland up against Israel. This was a cracker of a game. Israel in front twice, Scotland came back once, twice, missed the penalty, and then 94th minute, Scott McSauce, McTominay, scored with... I can't work out if it's his belly or his nipple or whatever. Whatever part of his body did he manage to knock the ball over the line with. He sent Hamden Park absolutely mental and this is a huge result for Scotland because Denmark are more than likely going to qualify as group winners I think they just need a point to get over the line uh, automatically and <clears throat> and qualify for Qatar Scotland this is massive seven games 14 points on the board they've got the edge on Israel for the playoff spot and St- Steve Clark got them to the Euros this summer breaking that long run going all the way back to France 98 of of missing out on tournaments these are the types of games that in the past, maybe when they didn't have a McTominay or a Kieran Tierney or an Andy Robertson or a John McGinn, Scotland would have rolled over and maybe got a battle in point or maybe have even lost. But there does seem to be a lot more steel about this team. And if they do qualify for the World Cup, yesterday's result will probably go down as a, as a turning point. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, you, you talk about that goal. It's probably the best goal Scotland Tomlin's ever scored <laughs> in terms of what it means and, and what it means for his country, especially. Um, and, you know, there, there does seem to be that air uh, that this is this Scotland team is a little bit different than ones we've seen in the past. They've got a manager who, who you know, with all due respect to previous managers, proper knows how to get a tune out of these players. And they've got a good set of players. You know, you mentioned some of their, the players there, likes of McTominay, likes of McGinn, likes of Gilmore, Robertson, Turney. These are top-level players. And, you know, to have those players and work a system that, that that's beneficial as well because, you know, Scott McTominay, he sort of plays as part, part of a back three, doesn't he, for Scotland a lot of the time. And it's not a, a position that he's played for Manchester United very often. I think he played a couple of times in defence under Jose, but it's not a position you, you see him playing for United. Yeah, he does, he plays it for Scotland and, and is very effective there. They've got the opportunity now. There's, you know, I, kept, I was saying it with England about Gareth Southgate. Gareth Southgate having that feel-good factor. There's certainly that going on with Scotland, and if they could qualify for back-to-back tournaments without sort of you know being patronising, I think that'd be a phenomenal achievement when you consider the resources they've got compared to some of the other countries as well. And it's very doable now. It's it's just you know I just hope they don't do what's happened in the past sometimes where they've shot themselves in the foot or things have just sort of tailed off. It is looking good for them, and it would be great to see Scotland and players like. McTominay and one or two others in the World Cup as well and you know I'm sure Scotland is still sort of recovering from the the hangovers now as we speak from celebrating that that late late fantastic strike by Scott McTominay. Alongside Scotland obviously getting an important win uh, big night for the Republic of Ireland as well Rob first win in 12 competitive games under Stephen Kenny 3-0 away at Azerbaijan it's too late for World Cup qualification Ireland cannot take their place at Qatar but Positive signs, two goals for Callum Robinson, who's obviously found himself in the news this week for, for slightly controversial reasons. But Stephen Kenny's future is going to be decided by the method defence of saying that Ireland have to move forward and have to play more progressively and, and back the young players that they have in their team and the results business characters. He's finally got this win 
which may or may not be enough to save his job. Do you think it is the sensible thing to keep him and look to try and move in a, in a positive direction or have the results ultimately just caught up with him? Well, the run of results have been horrendous. At an international level, you really do not get much time to to build your squad. It's not like club football. Uh, I think the result itself against Azerbaijan is a, obviously a very positive one and they needed a victory. Uh, the, the game itself is actually more kind of balanced than the 3-0 suggests Azerbaijan had their chances uh, but I think with Ireland you know they, they also look a little bit like Scotland like we were just saying there they do have a core of talent maybe not as deep as Scotland but they've certainly got options and it's trying to find a way now to, to make those things bed together and I think as well you know whether he's the right manager or not I think the, the kind of Irish FA now need to look at what their long term plans are maybe over the next say two or two to four years of whether they can get to a tournament finals because they have got a base at least to work with but at the moment you know, certainly results have suggested that it's not been good enough and hasn't been enough progression in the last few months Yeah indeed uh, another little bit of history as well as Stephen Kenny getting his first uh, competitive win as Ireland boss Chiodozi Ogbeni became the first ever African born player to play for the Republic of Ireland a few months ago and now he has become the first ever African born player to score for the Republic of Ireland brilliant stuff for him very very proud day for Ireland fans as well right before we take a quick break last little bit of international action Jay I'm going to throw it back to you Euro Nations League final uh, tonight France up against Spain the Nations League's become a bit of a running joke within international football but these games, the two semi-finals, the third-place playoff earlier today where Italy beat Belgium, the, the level of quality that's been on display in those games, when you get those games to watch, particularly from a neutral perspective, it does slightly make it a bit worth it, even if the other 70 or 80% of the Nations League is not. Yeah, definitely. And I think for a lot of us, we don't watch, you know, well, personally, I can only speak for myself, I don't watch loads and loads of international football, but I watch big games and, you know, you watch the game the other the other day, you mentioned it, Italy versus Spain, you know, there was all sorts going on there. It was a very entertaining game. Um, and, you know, there are still some very, very good teams out there, some good international teams. And it almost feels like there's a few teams in a little bit of transition, including Spain, because you've had such that dominant Spanish team that was, you know, sort of um, unbeatable for so many years and was cleaning up everything. And now they've had a bit of a reset and they've got some younger players in and they're looking good, uh, good value as well. You've had Italy, who've been on a, a great run as well. And obviously France, with all the stars they've got and, and, and the success they've had as well. So... Yeah, there's some really entertaining games. I think when you look at them, personally, I was like, the Nations League, what's that all about? But you can't argue it. We've seen some great games and some great teams as well. And it's given me, you know, me the chance to see some of these players that I've not perhaps seen as much at club level, see them on the international stage as well. So, yeah, I've been enjoying some of these f football matches and uh, I'm going to uh, eat my words when I said I wasn't in the Nations League. There you go. That's the power of the Nations League. It can even turn Jay in his views of international football. Right. We are going to take a break and we're going to take a break from international football because after the break, we're getting back to the nitty gritty, the Premier League. The dust has finally settled ish on the Saudi Arabian backed PIF buyout of Newcastle United. We're going to be talking about what next for them in the months to come and also focusing on Manchester United. Some big, big contract talks have been penciled in at Old Trafford. We'll be back in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Before the break, it was all about the international scene, looking back at England's win over Andorra, some massive results for Scotland and Ireland, and previewing tonight's Euro Nations League final between France and Spain. But now in part two, we're getting back to the day job. And I still can't really quite get my head round, Rob, that we're talking about Newcastle being bought out by a multi-billion pound operation. Just in case you've been living under a stone for the last few days, PIF, the public investment fund backed by the Saudi Arabian states, have bought out Newcastle United. Newcastle fans have gone absolutely mental outside St. James's Park, partying well into the night as they look to build themselves into, say it quietly, the new Manchester City with millions and millions of pounds being spent in the next few years. Rob, we're going to talk about transfer targets because trawling through the gossip pages this morning, they have been linked with nine players right the way across the spectrum. From James Tarkowski at Burnley, which you would say is a fairly solid option, to Mauro Icardi at PSG, which is less solid. Now, some of this is nonsense and some of this is just gossip talk, but Newcastle do need to be very, very rare, very, very wary because clubs know they have got a lot of money and they need to make sure that the next 6 to 12 months they are ran well, managed efficiently and that they're not taken advantage of. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're not going to be run well in that in that context. I think when you look at Manchester City, I think they're the blueprint obviously for this kind of takeover. And when Man City were taken over by Sheikh Mansour, his personal wealth is 23 billion. Uh, the the value of here of the of PIF is 500 billion. So they literally do have money to throw away, and that, I think that's the starting point. Um, when you look at what the what Newcastle need to do to become competitors, and we've got obviously the January transfer window coming up, I think we're going to see a kind of blockbuster window that we've never really seen before, just because they're going to try to show their muscle and show that they can win this Premier League title in double quick time. Uh, When City got taken over, I said it would take five years to win the title. It took them four. I'm going with two years for this Newcastle team. I think they they will reinvent themselves in the next two or three transfer windows and they will just go and buy big. They're not going to go for James Toskarski, do you know what I mean, or, or, or Arcadi. They're going to go for the biggest players they can get. And I do think that, unfortunately for Steve Bruce, it won't be him that's pulling the strings in the months to come. Um, we'll look at Bruce in, in a second, Jay, because that's going to be the big story, as, as Rob points out, in the next few months. But it's interesting what Rob says in terms of the, the shop shelves that uh, Newcastle can now reach, that the leg up that they've been given to go and grab pretty much whoever they want. But we know that these things do take time. Do you think Newcastle are in a position to be that ambitious? They can bid pretty much what they like for any player. They can play whatever wages they want for any player. Are they in a position to do this that quickly and just go out and buy and ultimately lure to St. James's Park any player that they want? Yeah, well, it's like, you know, I was talking about Manchester City and I think there has to be a sort of a little bit of patience here. You're not just going to go out and get Neymar and Messi and, 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 you know, and world-class superstars straight away. You know, Harry Kane's not going to go to Newcastle or whatever. You're going to have to do it a little bit sort of over a, a longer period of time and Manchester City is a good example because they did it they got a lot of money um, we're a team that you know we're a bit of a, a yo-yo team for, for the sort of the, the late 90s early noughties they, you know they were up and down in this third tier at one point um, and then began to bring in better players and better players and just did it gradually and then they started bringing in you know sort of top level players and, and making it work um, under 
a good manager. And that's what Newcastle are going to have to do. I don't see them going out and just being able to track the, the, the superstars straight away. They can build slowly, though. And they can't, you know, we've seen it with, with other teams and other clubs who've, who've got a lot of money and people have gone dismissed it. I'm old enough to remember when Blackburn, when Jack Walker invested his money into Blackburn and people going, they're never going to win the Premier League. And they did. You know, you look, I'm a City people, when they got money, I, I'm laughing at it, thinking it's Man City, typical City lending tears, and end up winning the Premier League and winning, you know, practically every, well, winning literally every domestic trophy. So I'm not going to dismiss Newcastle. I think that the, the amount of money is, that's involved and the reasons it's involved, I think there will be success there. I just think there will. I just The question is, as, as Rob has been saying, is how long that success is going to take. Is it going to take five or six years? Is it going to take 10 years? Is it going to take even 15 years? I just think that over the next few years, they're going to sort of gradually build. You're going to see the higher calibre of players joining that club and eventually they'll be challenging for the top honours. I just think there's too much money involved for them not to be. Rob, you've gone with this line that it's going to be quicker than maybe people are estimating for Newcastle to turn things around, get themselves in a position to be to be challenging for the Premier League title. And as I say, some of these names that they're being linked, the, the spectrum is absolutely massive from Tarkowski to Icardi, Jesse Lingard's been linked, Koulibaly from Napoli, who less than 12 months ago there was talk of him going to Real Madrid or Liverpool or even Manchester City. Newcastle are in a position, as we say now, to, to pretty much bid for who they want. But if you're looking at this in the idea that Newcastle are going to get there a bit faster than maybe other people are predicting, who do you see as the types of players and maybe even some names that they could go for in January to speed up this process to make sure that at the end of this season, they've got something to build on into next season? I think they'll target Harry Kane and I think they'll target Kylian Mbappe. Now, when you look at Manchester City, on day one that their really? owners came in, they bought Robinho for 30 they bought £36 million, pound, didn't they, for Robinho when he came into the football club? Yeah, yeah, that day, they, that day was that was the transfer window day, wasn't it? That's right. And they, they also they turned up... They were trying to get any one right. they could, and they got Robinho for, yeah, fair play. And they turned up at the airport and offered Dimitar Berbatov a contract as well when he was coming for his medical at Manchester United. This is a different level to what we're used to. Now, what you've got to remember is that Newcastle United are now as rich as the other 19 Premier League clubs put together. So this is the level. It's a different level. It's something we've never seen before. And when you talk about constructing squads, I think we are so maybe conservative in our own little English ways of thinking it takes time to build. It doesn't really take time to build when you can buy the earth. And I think when you look at this Newcastle team, you can say to Harry Kane, this is going to be your team, Harry. We're going to build the best football club in the world. You're going to be the centrepiece of it. You're going to be the captain. And guess what? We'll pay you 10 times what Man City can pay you. It's as simple as that. That is what football is today. And this is the, 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 the playing field that Newcastle now have created with this capture from a, from a, a nation state who are looking to sports wash their way into the industry. I think we're going to see some incredible spending over the next 12 months from them. And I think it's just going to make everyone's eyes water because it's going to bring a new face to the table of success of trophies and we've got used to talking about Manchester City and Liverpool in, in the Premier League Newcastle United have already got that support base they've got a big stadium lots of fans who will pack that place out every week home and away uh, I think they're going to be the next giants of European football 
Okay. Um, when you put it like that, it just makes the situation surrounding Steve Bruce J look even more dismal because prior to this takeover taking place, obviously it was initially going to be assessed in January when there was the tribunal. Steve Bruce has been standing on the brink for a long, long time. A lot of Newcastle fans, Marley included, has said a number of times that Mike Ashley's continuation at the club is the only thing keeping Steve Bruce in a job because he just wouldn't get rid of him, uh, whether it was a financial reason, whether it was a personal reason, whatever. Steve Bruce now looks like a dead man walking. He really, really does. It could be next week. They could wait until January. They could potentially even maybe to present a more positive image, wait until the end of the season. But ultimately, you don't see a position where Steve Bruce is in charge next season by any chance. Does he get given a little bit of time? Is there anything that could potentially keep him in a job between now and the end of the year? Or do you think the first move they're going to make is to replace Steve Bruce? I'd be very surprised if the first move the the they made wasn't to sack him. To be honest with you, um, we've spoken so many times on this podcast about Steve Bruce, and you know I love Steve Bruce because of what he did at Manchester United. I think you know he's actually an underrated player. How good he was for us and the, the what he achieved there. Um, I know from speaking to a lot of Newcastle fans, he hasn't been popular. We've spoken about in this podcast how a lot of them they don't look at him the same way they look at Rafa Benitez, for example. Rafa Benitez was looked at as this sort of tactical genius who managed to get him to mid-table, security with his his nous and his his ability. Steve Bruce just he's, he's treated like this sort of you know comedic figure or or just this guy who's, who's lucky and, and doesn't know what he's doing and he's been lambasted constantly. I think he came out recently and said that the things written about him on social media in particular. Um, I think he said he was glad his parents weren't alive to, 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 to see and hear it because it would have broken their hearts. When I hear that and I see that, and especially, you know, today's we're recording, it's World Mental Health Day, and you see a man that's suffering and you think, it's only going to get worse now they've got all these resources. I think it's best for him as well as for the club. He might not he probably agree. But if he did move on, because he's obviously not a popular figure there, he's obviously suffering under the strain of, of the abuse he's been getting. He's only going to get more abuse now they've got money. And, and they'll they'll want a big name manager to come in, and I don't see the Newcastle fans suddenly thinking, "Oh, give Steve Bruce the money; he's the man to to to, to spend it wisely." So yeah, I think the, the board will, will probably be moving on, and I think it'll be best for all concerned. And I think that years from now, maybe people will look back at what Steve Bruce did at Newcastle and think, you know what? If you look at where they finished under him and what he did there, it wasn't that bad, and maybe deserves a bit more credit. Yeah, indeed. And uh, from the kind of wild fantasy football money sloshing around at Newcastle to some slightly more sensible news at Manchester United, Rob. Report from the Sunday Mirror today claiming that Harry Maguire is due to sit down for contract talks in the next few weeks. Now, as it stands, Maguire's current contract is until 2025 and United have got the option to extend that for an extra 12 months. So on the face of it, there doesn't really seem to be the need for this. Part of the story is that they want to bring his wage package up in line with Jadon Sancho and Rafael Varane, who obviously come into Manchester United this summer. But from the outside looking in, from a non-United perspective looking in, this does seem a little bit odd. Harry Maguire is club captain. There doesn't seem to be any transfer links pushing him out of the club or him suggesting that he wants to leave. He's got four slash five years left on his contract on a very, very big wage. Why are Manchester United making this move when there's the potential that that money could be invested elsewhere? Well, I think United are trying to secure their senior players out of football clubs. So obviously, as you said, Harry Maguire is under contract. Uh, there's no kind of talk about him leaving or anything like that. But I think they're trying to just show that these players that they have faith in them. Um, it, it doesn't really make sense. Like, you know, when do the Glazers, when they do these things, kind of make sense? They gave Jose Mourinho a contract and then sacked him six months later. 
There's been plenty of times where contracts do not mean too much at Manchester United. But I think Maguire over the last 12 months has led the club well. He's improved. Uh, they've now bought him a centre-back to play next to him of world-class quality in Rafael Varane. And I think United are, are trying to take that next step with the core players that they have. Of course, there's still more investment that's needed, especially through the midfield. But Maguire is going to be a big part of United's vision over the next two or three years. We're just talking about Newcastle and how they're going to change the game with the amount of money that they've got and how they're going to go out and buy players in the transfer market. I think now United are, are going to do what a lot of clubs will do, and that is that they'll consolidate their major talent so they can move forward. And Jay, just looking to get your opinion on the Maguire situation as well. As Rob points out, he's been massively important for United over the last couple of years. Club captain, Varane has come in. They've developed this partnership that United fans have been worried has been lacking with, with Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof maybe not quite hitting the heights that were, were previously expected. Is this just a sensible move within the business side of the club? Harry Maguire is an asset. He's worth a lot of money. Any potential chance that a Newcastle or anybody could, could potentially come calling and triple, quadruple, ten times his wages. United and others now need to safeguard themselves with some of this more slightly pragmatic business. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with this at all. I, I like Harry Maguire. I think he's done a very good job since he's come into Manchester United. Um, and I think that, you know, signing him down to a contract, 300 grand a week, yes, a lot of money, but, you know, he's, he's probably par for the course nowadays, isn't it, for a, a sort of England, regular England international who's also the captain of a club that's you know wants to be challenging for the league title, so it makes sense to me. I mean, it's one of those where if if he wasn't offered a deal, I wouldn't be going. Why they're not giving Harry Maguire a new deal? What's going on here? This is a, this is an outrage. But the fact that he is, I'm not saying those things either. I'm not going. Oh my God, why are we giving Harry Maguire a new deal? It kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, maybe the, the Newcastle factor does come into play where you look at me. You know, they could go and try and tempt him. But he's what is he? 28 years old. He's, you know, getting him on a long-term deal. He'll probably see out the, the rest of his career, or certainly the rest of his top-level career at Manchester United. And he's done a very good job so far. And if that helps, you know, sort of give him that stability, knowing him and his family are settled for for the, for a long time to come at Manchester United, then I'm all for it. I don't have a problem with this. And I think that, you know, Rob's talking there about the the, the deals that the Glazers have done, especially you know, giving Jose Mourinho contracts and other players contracts who, who perhaps they shouldn't have done. You know, look at likes of, of you know, I think Ashley Young and Chris Moore and players like that signed deals when. They were almost out the door. This this isn't like that. This makes a lot more sense to me. And it's one of those that, you know, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, the other contract situation that is going to be big, big news in the next few months, Jay, I'm going to throw this back to you first, is, is Paul Pogba. He's in a much more perilous situation in terms of contract length than Harry Maguire. Contract is up in 2022. All United fans are well aware that talks have been ongoing. They've stalled, they've restarted, they've stalled, they've restarted. And we've gone from this position where in the past it looked almost certain that he would leave then it looked as if he was going to stay he was playing a massively important role last season he stayed in Solskjaer's plans again this season but still there's no progress on pen to paper and the longer this goes on when we get into January and the option becomes available to agree a free transfer deal with a non-Premier League club tongs are going to continue to wag over the situation where do you stand on this Pogba is into his final year Talks, according to reports from the MEN today, are going to kick off again between now and Christmas. They're going to make one final push to keep him at Old Trafford. How does this all play out? You look at this with about eight months to go on his deal. Generally for players of his status, of his calibre, that means that they're probably on their way out. Do United still have a chance to keep him or is this done and dusted? I'd like to think he stay. I like Paul Pogba. I think he's a very, very good player. I think he's had a good start to the season. 
Um, and there's several reasons I want him to stay. I think that if he was to stay and commit, the sort of similar to Maguire, I think he's 28 as well. The sort of maybe the, the the golden not the golden years. I'm sure he's got lots of years left in him. But the the sort of last sort of four or five years of him being in his prime and at the top level. If he was to commit those years to Manchester United, I think that'd be good for us. And I think we you know we, we'd have a player that was obviously very effective and we know he's very useful. Um, I just I'm I'm, I'm getting less and less um, optimistic as as it goes on. And listen, people can blame Paul Pob all they want, and they can point the finger at him and know that people do. But I think the club have got to look at themselves in this. You know, why has it got to this situation? What was the plan here? And why has it been allowed to the point where we're now, what, three or four months away from him being able to sign a, a pre-contract agreement with someone else? This is a player that we had, that we got from the Av. We, we brought him in as a youngster. He, you know, we had him. He decided to go to Juventus. Fine. Ain't got an issue with that. Do what you got to do. We brought him back for 89 million. And now we could be in a position where he might even end up going back to Juventus on a free. So his career could be free, you know, goes from United to Juve for free. We buy him back for 89 million or whatever it was. And then he goes back there for free or somewhere else for free. It's just not clever for Manchester United. We should have sort of tried to tie Paul Popper down or done something with him in terms of either moving him on or getting him tied down to a new deal before it came to this. Unless he signs a new deal, in which case you can say, OK, this works. It looks like Manchester United have fudged this one, in my opinion. And it's just left us in a silly position because... Yeah, I, I think it's increasingly likely he will move on and I'll be sorry to see him go and I'll be even more sorry to see him go for a free because it means, you know, we're not getting any money for him. We're not going to reinvest that into the team. Uh, Rob, Jay's kind of looked at this from the point of view that he obviously wants him to stay. I think the majority of United fans do want him to stay, but there's this slow realisation that <clears throat> it might already be too late. The decision might have been made either from Pogba's side or from United's side. Too much time has, has span around the clock to, to bring this all back and get Pogba tied down to a new contract. Would you agree with Jay that you know, as much as you'd want Pogba to stay, it probably is done and he probably is going to leave. No, I disagree with that. Um, you've got to look at the wider context of this. You know, is it Manchester United who want Paul Pogba to stay or were they looking for a market for him to try and sell him and get rid of him earlier on? Or is it Paul Pogba that's negotiating, kind of, you know, playing the game, trying to find his best option to go to a football club that will pay him more money? Well, Paul Pogba told Manchester United six months ago that he wanted to stay and that if they gave him the contract that he's worth, that he would sign it. That was six months ago. Manchester United didn't give him that contract. This is why we are where we are now. Um, Paul Pogba is still happy at the football club. You know, he's professed that privately. It's quite open knowledge that, that he would sign a deal if United came up with the readies. But Manchester United have not come up with the readies. They're the ones who are trying to play the market. They're the ones to see if they could actually get rid of this wage off their wage bill so they can invest in other parts of their squad. So that's a major part of this. I think people always think that this is all about Paul Pogba's desires. I actually think it's more about Manchester United's desire. Um, I think we're going to get to a point, maybe around Christmas, where Manchester United will look at the Newcastle factor and they'll think, hmm, it's better to give Paul Pogba a big contract and keep this world-class player than get on the transfer market and start competing with the Saudi Arabians so I think that's that's how this will play out uh, personally I think I think Pogba will sign the deal I think United will give him the deal and I think the that he wants to stay in Manchester you know this is something that we hear continually from his camp the Juventus thing that came out the last couple of days is a complete red herring they asked him about Juventus and he said yeah he likes Turin he says that all the time about Juventus and he says he likes Madrid and he likes Barcelona and he likes, you know, Miami and all these places. But he is happy at United. It is up to United to make sure that this deal is the right one for him and also the right deal for Mini Raiola. That's something that football fans do not like. 
but that's what it comes down to it comes down to making sure that he gets the security he wants um, and, and, and it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well his future I think is tied into this because Paul Pogba does like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer but let's just say Ole does move on and United go for a Zidane or a Conte or, or someone like that I think Paul Pogba will be quite happy to play under Zinedine Zidane at Old Trafford yeah, I just can't believe the Newcastle situation has just changed everything. You assume the potential of Paul Pogba playing in black and white stripes next season would be a return to Juventus, but the world of football is absolutely mad and it could be the black and white stripes of Steve Bruce's Newcastle. I cannot believe I've just said that sentence. I'm going to go and have a lie down because I just cannot believe that this is a potential reality in Premier League football. Right, Jay, Rob, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. As always, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Enjoy that one, lads. Good chatting to you. Thanks a lot, lads. Cheers. Great stuff indeed. And don't forget, here on the Football Social Daily, every single day, we have a brand new Premier League-focused podcast. If you click subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new one as soon as it is ready. Jim, Marley, Niall and the rest of the team will be back in action tomorrow. So don't forget to check out that podcast and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.